Good morning, everyone. So, so good to be with you this morning. Just an absolute joy and a privilege. Thanks, Mike, for having us down. We, as Mike said, my wife Charlotte and I, we come from Northern Ireland, and our background would be farming. So whoever came up for the Crunchy Bar Farmer of the Year, unbelievable. The one thing I do, people ask us, what do we miss about home? And my wife does have a list on her phone of all the foods she misses. She's keeping a note, so when we go back, she's going to just really go for that. But the one thing I miss is cows. Not that you don't have cows here, but I miss getting up in the morning and milking cows. It's a very different profession when you're here in this stage and on this platform. Uh, my background, again, is Elam. We've been part of the Elam family for years back home. I am an ordained Elam pastor. We were pastoring a church there for five years as the assistant pastor of a church, and we got ordained. And before we took our own church on... We felt the call of God to come and serve the nations and to serve New Zealand. We had hoped to come out here in early 2020, but something, I don't know if you've heard of it, COVID, COVID happened. Yeah, it, it, it stalled our plans and uh, we're out here till Christmas. We, were, we applied for a visa, but they said just with the backlog of applications, it'll, it wouldn't be till Christmas till we could get one. So just on our, our passport, we were able to get six months as a tourist. Um, so we've come out, and the last four months have been fantastic. We go home at Christmas, hopefully for a white Christmas. You never know. A lot of snow, hopefully. But me and my wife, Charlotte, we have had the joy and the privilege of being part of this, not only Elam family, but Elam Christian Center family, and being able to not only stay up and find a day, but to visit all the different campuses. And there's something about going around all the different campuses where you get to engage in so many different cultures, so many different communities, and you get to learn a lot, not only how they do church, but you get to learn a lot about yourself. And I have learned over these last four months that I, um, how do I put it? I fulfill all the stereotypes that Kiwis have about Irish people, you know? I love potatoes. That is the one food, you know, we do well, potatoes. I, I, love, I love Guinness. I love playing the bagpipes. I can play the bagpipes. If you ever need anyone on the worship team to play bagpipes, we can make that happen. And I support the best rugby team in the world as well. So there's lots of things that I've been learning about myself. I was hoping you wouldn't catch that last bit. But no, we, we've had such an enjoyable time. And when people from back home ask me, what is, the, what, is the, what is New Zealand like? It's so hard to capture it. Many of you come from other countries and your friends and your family will ask you. And it's so hard to explain because it's a very unique place. Like, like, the place itself is amazing. The, the scenery is to die for. But my response to people back home is that as good as the scenery is, as good as the place is, the people are better. And the Kiwis, there's something about them. They have been so, so welcoming to Charlotte and I. We have had an absolute blast getting to know so many. It has been my highlight of this trip so far, is getting to know people. I love it. I love getting to know people. I love getting to know their stories. But if I'm being really honest, as much as my heart is to get to know new people, my head hates it. Because what ends up happening is, I'll ask you, what is your name? And the moment you start to speak, my mind just switches off. It just shuts down. It goes blank. And you'll say something, but just in the distance between me and you, your name just disappears. It's gone. And you'll know it happens to me, because all of a sudden, you'll become my best buddy. Hello, buddy. It's great to see you, buddy. You know, if I, I see someone later on, well, pal, how are you, my friend? It's great to see you. I, I might forget your name, but you will become my best friend. In fact, back home in Ireland, we live in a very close-knit community, 
And when you have a, a, a job like this, so to, so to speak, when you're in front of other people communicating, a lot of people maybe know you or know of you, but the problem is you don't get the opportunity to get to know them. So they might stop you in the street. And I'm sure there's people in the room who've been through this as well. Someone stops you on the street and you are talking away to them. You're asking them about the kids. You're asking them about work. You're asking them about their hobbies and you're talking away. And after 10 minutes of me being their best friend, Charlotte will go as we walk away, who is that? Why didn't you introduce me to them? And I'll say, I didn't introduce you to them because I don't have a clue who they are. But you were acting as if they were your best friend, they were your best buddy. I know. I have a whole friendship circle full of people of names I do not know. This morning as we kick off our unnamed series, I want to introduce you to some of my buddies in the Bible. Some of the people that I don't know their names, and that's okay, because no one else in the room knows them either. They're the unnamed people of Scripture. They're the unknown and unnoticed, faceless figures of faith that make up the pages of Scripture. And as I was thinking and praying about this, because we want to look at those lives and the legacies that these unnamed people left for us believers. We want to see how everyday ordinary people can do extraordinary things for God. And as I was thinking and I was praying about this, I suppose I, I really felt that we should turn to the book of Hebrews this morning. So if you have a Bible with you or you have a device, you want to bring it up on your phone, maybe you might even have the sermon notes as you walked in to the book of Hebrews. And I think that would be a really appropriate place to start because it is really the unnamed book of the Bible. What do I mean by that? It is the only book in the canon of Scripture, the 66 books that make up the Old Testament and the New Testament, that we're not actually too sure who wrote it or who it's written to. The, the author and the audience are unnamed. Now, don't get me wrong. If you do your study and you'll see the scholars highly suggest that it was Paul who wrote this letter. In fact, they might debate it was Apollos and, and maybe even Barnabas. We're, we're not completely sure, but we know it was one of them three. And then when we look at the audience, it, it's called Hebrews because we can work out from the context of the content that it was written to Jewish Christians, Hebrews by birth. We're not sure where they lived where they were worshiping Jesus, or where they were even placed in the world, but we can guess that much. Their author and their audience is unnamed. But the truth is this, if you've been at church for any period of time, you might think, I'm not too sure if Hebrews is the best place to go to start an unnamed series. Because if you just turn in your Bible, and hopefully you do right now, to Hebrews chapter 11, we have the heroes of faith the men and women that we all know and love who did amazing things for God. And if you've been to church for any period of time, you're more than likely have heard one of these names. If you go down through the chapter, you'll see the stories of Abel, of Enoch. You'll see about Noah and Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses and Rahab. And the list goes on. In fact, I would I would guess that if you walked out these doors and into the streets of this city and you went up to somebody and they weren't a Christian, they didn't have a Christian upbringing, and you mentioned some of these names and their stories, they would have heard of some of them. They might have heard of Noah. They may have heard of Joseph. They must have heard of Moses. So Gareth, why is that a good place to go? Why is it a good place to go to this chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, the heroes of faith when we're starting an unnamed series? Well, there's something that 
happens towards the end of the chapter that is really interesting. If you turn in your Bibles down to verse 32 of Hebrews chapter 11, you'll see what I mean. After talking about these amazing men and women of God and all the amazing acts they did in his name, the author says this, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon or Barak, Samson or Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouth of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and rooted foreign armies. Women received back their dead and raised to life again. But something happens in verse 35. It says, there were others. There were others. He's just spent the whole chapter, chapter 11, going through these amazing men and women of God, the people that we know and love, that we've heard preach from this pulpit, Week in, week out, we know them, but he says, I don't have time to talk about those people. I don't have time to tell you about them. Why? Because there were others. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released, so that they may gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what they had promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect." My title this morning is There Were Others. I want you to turn around to the person beside you and in your best Irish accent say, There Were Others. Come on, you can do better than that. One more time. We need a bit of practice on that. There were others. Say with me, there were others. We're getting there. We're getting there. There were others. I was driving along the road this week, trying to navigate the city life here in Auckland, which I find really different to the wee, windy, bendy roads of Ireland. Never the four or five lane traffic. We're driving along, and my wife here, Charlotte, turns around and says, would you rather, would you rather lose your legs or lose your voice? What? That's a weird question to get when you're driving your car. What do you mean? Would you rather lose your legs or lose your voice? I said, what are you talking about? She goes, there's this game, and I don't know if you know what it's called, would you rather, where someone asks you a question, and it's usually one that splits the opinion in the room. It, it's a, a hard question where you're given two choices, and it's usually between a rock and a hard place, so to speak. But you're, to give your honest answer, uh, and sometimes it splits the room in opinion. So I answer my wife and I say, I suppose um, I'm a preacher, so I want to keep my voice. Um, maybe I'd lose my legs. Not that I want to, but I have to make a choice. She's putting me under this pressure. And I go, okay, well, what about you? What, what would you choose? And he goes, I don't know. I said, you can't do that. You can't just opt out. That's not the rules of the game. You have to play. And I would love it if we could play that game this morning, right? 
So to give you an example, here, here's our first question. Would you rather be able to speak all foreign languages or speak to animals? Oh, that's a good one, isn't it? This will really divide the room before, between people who like people and people who don't like people. Okay? Put your hand up if you would like to speak all foreign languages. That's a pretty good option, isn't it? Okay, now raise your hand if you would rather speak to animals. Oh, it's actually more than I thought. Very good, very good. Okay, number two. Would you rather have noisy neighbors or nosy neighbors? Someone's like, I have both, you know, I guess. This is not a choice for me. In fact, during lockdown, me and my wife found out for the first time that we had noisy neighbors. We, di we didn't know this before. We had this lovely couple. They were from Poland who lived beside us in a detached house. And they were fantastic, so polite, so nice. They would get up at like five in the morning, go to work. They'd come back, work all day really hard, come back at night, and they were so tired they went to bed. And we thought, these, these neighbors are so nice. They're not nosy, they're not noisy. But then lockdown happened, right? And what we didn't realize was the only day off in the week they get was Sunday. And usually we're out at church, you know, every Sunday. But because we're in lockdown, we have to be in the house. And they play heavy metal music from morning to night on a Sunday. So I know which one I want to choose. Put your hand up in this room if you're with me that I would rather have a nosy neighbor. Okay, okay. Put your hand up if you don't mind noisy neighbors. You don't mind, okay. We're pretty split here. Last question. Here we go. Would you rather be a named or an unnamed Hebrews 11 hero of faith? Now, I'll not get you to put your hands up for this because I'm, I'm quite ashamed about this. You know, I, I look at the scriptures that we've just read. We've looked at the heroes of faith. We've looked at how they shut the mouth of lions. They quenched the fury of flames. They escaped the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength and they became powerful in battle. They routed foreign armies, and the women, they received their dead back to life. We all want to be heroes like that. We all want to be like David. We all want to be like Moses. We all want to be like Joseph. We want to be those heroes that are named unknown. Not many of us, if any, I would say, want to be those unnamed heroes of faith. The ones who were tortured and refused to be released so they might gain an even better resurrection. The ones that face jeers and flogging, not from people they don't know, but from their friends and from their family, so to speak. We don't want to be the people who are in chains and imprisonment, who were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two, and they were killed by the sword. We would rather be Joseph wearing the multicolored coat than the unnamed heroes wearing goatskins and sheepskins. We would rather be like David living in the palace than those unnamed heroes of faith living in holes and in caves. And I think that's maybe more of a reflection on us than on them. Because if we were to have those unnamed men and women of faith who went through all of that here with us this morning, and if we were to play a game of would you rather with them, I would imagine there would be a split in the room because the choices they made in their life doesn't it doesn't seem to translate to modern-day Christians today or even the Western church. The lives that they live, the choices they made, the would-you-rather, so to speak, are alien to us today. But what does the author of Hebrews 11 say? 
He says, I've talked about these amazing men and women of God, the ones you know, the ones that are named, but I don't have time to tell you any more about them because I want to tell you about these others. There's something about their story that you and I can learn from this morning. Something as we look at their lives and the legacy they left behind for us believers today, there's something we can learn that our everyday, ordinary lives can be used to do something extraordinary for God. So this morning, I would love it if we could just spend some moments looking at a few of the decisions they made, the few of the decisions they made that are countercultural not only to our society and to our culture today, but maybe to our church and to us as Christians. And the first thing we see straight off the bat is they would rather give praise than get praise. Hebrews 11, verse 35, in the middle it says, there were others. And you know what happened when I read that for the first time? My blood started to boil. I actually started to find myself, as I read the Word of God, I don't know if you get this at all, but I started to get annoyed. I started to get agitated. I started to get angry, not because of me, but because of these guys. These people gave their life for God. They died in the most brutal of ways, and yet... The author here doesn't even seem to bother to write down their names. And I started to get annoyed. I started to think, why couldn't you just remember? They did so much for God, you couldn't even remember their name. And then I realized they weren't doing it for their name. They were doing it for His. They weren't living their lives to get praise from people, but rather to give praise to God. They weren't looking for the applause of man. Why? Because they already had the approval of God. They didn't need anyone to know their names because God already knew them. He knew their story. He knew their situation. And that was enough for them. Is that enough for me? Is that enough for me? Do I live my life so that other people would see me and not give glory to my Father in heaven, but give glory and honor to me? That's a challenge. I'm, I'm big into football. I know you call it soccer here. Um, football. Uh, and my favorite team is Liverpool. Best team going. Unbelievable. Uh, but I have a favorite player in, in Liverpool for quite a strange reason. Well, it's strange to my friends who, who aren't Christians, but my favorite player is the goalkeeper. He's called Alisson. It's not a girl. It's, it's Alisson. He's a guy. He's Brazilian, and he's my favorite player because not only is he a goalkeeper that scores goals, like that's, that's fantastic, but he is a Christian, and he makes it crystal clear to those around that he is a Christian. In fact, earlier, two seasons ago, he, he led one of his teammates to Jesus, and he baptized him. Like that, that is making a, a, an influence and an impact in the kingdom of God. But there's something that happens that Allison does, right? At the weekend, not yesterday, we actually lost this morning, which is really embarrassing against the worst team in the league. But I'm not going to mention that. I'm going to look at the, the week before where we be, beat the best team in the league, which was great. The keeper, Allison, did something. He saved a penalty actually last week. Um, and when he saved a penalty, he got up and he did this here. He started to give glory to God. And there's been other times where we've won trophies where he's taken off his Liverpool strip and he's been wearing a t-shirt saying, Jesus is Lord. And it's completely, it sticks out like a sore thumb in society. Because every other footballer you know, when they score a goal and the, the crowd's chanting their name, what do they do? They point to their own name. They love the songs. They love the chants. They love the praise. But Alison doesn't do his job to get praise from man, but to give praise to God. 
Now, I'm not saying on Monday morning you go into work and maybe you work in a, a local supermarket or you're a countdown or Kmart and someone, you're stacking shelves and someone comes across and says, could you help me find something? And you, you help them find something. They say, you're doing a good job. You don't go and do a knee slide on the ground and take off your T-shirt and go, only Jesus. Like, I'm not saying that this is a, an exaggeration of an example, but do we live lives how do, we, how do we do that in your everyday life? In your friendships, in your families, in your workplaces, in your communities, how can we live lives like these unnamed men and women of faith who are seeking not to get praise from man, but to give praise to God? The second thing we see in this passage, that is one countercultural thing. Everyone wants, to, everyone wants to be named and known. We live in the era of the influencer, don't we? People want, want to be named and known. But we see in the next point that we aren't just to give glory to God in our moments of celebration, but also in our moments of suffering. Because the second trait and choice that these unnamed men and women made was that they would rather have eternal life than their earthly life. The verse goes on in Hebrews eleven thirty-five. It says, There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released, so that they might gain an even better resurrection. They had their eyes not on the things of this earth, but on eternity. And don't get me wrong this morning, as we preach Jesus, we preach that Jesus doesn't just come to give you eternal life, but abundant life. But that abundant life doesn't necessarily look like the good life. It looks like God's life he has for you. And for some of us, that looks like suffering. Some of us, that looks like sickness. Right around the world today, there are Christians who are suffering, who are being persecuted for their faith. And it's not because of a lack of faith. It's because they are a people of faith. Open Doors, the Christian charity, estimates there is 312 million Christians facing high-level persecution around the world. That's one in every seven Christians globally that face this challenge. They're faced with the decision... Do they want to spend eternity with God or do they want to live their life here on earth without Him? People are faced with that and they are faced with that. And they make the decision they want to live for eternity. And I think they make the right call. Why? Because it's a wee bit like this. Charlotte and I, when we came here uh, four months ago, we got the church to help us move into our house and to find accommodation. And they did a great job because we found the cheapest house in Fangaday. We, we did, that was our goal, to get the cheapest one, just be there, use it as a base. And it's like a one-bed, like, kitchenette slash bathroom. Like, it, it's very small, but it does our job great. But one of the decisions we had to make was, what do we, what do we buy for the house? Because the house wasn't, let's just say, up to, um, like, it wasn't a palace, okay? Let, let me be very politically correct here. It was, wasn't a palace. We had to buy certain things. We had to buy a bin. We had to buy this, that, and the other. But there was one day um, we were in church and people were being very generous. And a woman came up to me with a bag. And in the bag was like, you know, a toasted sandwich maker, like a toasty maker, we would call it, you know, making toasted sandwiches. In the bag was a box, like a toasty sandwich maker box. I went, oh, thank you so much. You know, we didn't think we would buy one of them because we're not here long enough. So I give it to my wife and my wife was like, that's really, really lovely. In fact, I was at the shop yesterday and I was thinking, should I buy a toasty maker or not? But because we're not here long enough, there's no point buying all these things for our house when we're going to be going soon. So I said to her, you know what? Isn't God really kind like that? Isn't he really good that he supplies your need 
And, and even if you didn't mention it to me, he knew your heart and he'd give you a toasty maker. So I said, you should go and encourage that little lady to let her know she's in tune with God. So Charlotte goes across and just goes, thank you so much for your gift of a toasty maker. I was just thinking the other day that I should get one of these. And, and you know, it's so good that God has given us one through you. And the wee woman goes, I'm sorry, I didn't get your toasty maker. It's just a toasty maker box. <laughs> what? If you open it up, it's just jam and shortbread and home-baked goods. Which was lovely, by the way. Really, really nice. But we had embarrassed this little lady. So the next week, we were talking. We were like, oh, we shouldn't have said that. We shouldn't have said that. But we went along to a small group which she was there at. And lo and behold, didn't she pull out a bag with a toasty maker in it? But I really felt God told me to give it to you. I was like, no, you didn't. You just feel bad. I'm sorry. All of that to say is that we were making choices about what we put in our house because we weren't going to be there for a long time, right? How silly of, it, of us would it be if we were to go into our house that's really small and say, look, I know we're only here for six months, but this is too small. Let's build an extension. And we get a builder and an architect and we build another room on. And we go, you know, the kitchen's a wee bit grubby. Let's, let's put our brand new kitchen in. Or you know what, the bathroom, it's, maybe we could fit a bath if we take out the shower. And we start doing all these renovations. And in six months' time, we leave and go home. You're thinking, why did you waste all your money doing up a place like that? Let's go one step further. Last night, we, we stayed in a hotel so that we could preach here. And imagine you walk into a hotel room, and it's nice. It's nice, don't get me wrong, it's nice. But it could really do with a lick of paint, you know? So you phone up the, the painter and decorator, and he comes and he paints the room, and you think, you know what, that furniture, it's, it doesn't feel that homely. It's very business-like. Let's, let's go to the shop, and we buy all this furniture. Or the bed, the bed's comfy, but we could do with a bigger bed. And you spend all this money in a hotel room you do not own for one night before you leave the next day. You would say, you're an absolute fool. Then why is it that as citizens of heaven, we make our homes here on earth? We are foolish when we value the things of this earth over the glories and the riches of eternity. When we make decisions on this earth that make sense, don't make sense in eternity. You know, these men and women, they made decisions that made a sense in eternity, but made little or no sense here on earth. Their friends and their families would have said, I don't know why he died for Jesus. I don't know why he went that far. He could have brought it back a wee bit. He didn't have to give it all. He could have just given his Sundays. He could have just given his, you know, midweeks. He could have just had a quiet, like, why did he have to go all the way? And it doesn't make sense when it comes to the things of this earth, but it does in eternity. That's a challenge. Do we live our lives like that? Do we live our lives living for the things of this earth? I just think of Jim Elliot, the famous missionary who gave his life in the mission field. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jesus said it like this, what would a prophet a man if he gave, if he gave his soul for the entire world? If he gained everything in this world but lost his soul? How many cars... How many houses, how many businesses, how much money in the bank would make it worth it when you stand before God in eternity and realize you lost it all? These men and women, these unnamed men and women, valued their eternal life over their earthly life, and that's a challenge and countercultural to many people today. Final thought, and with this I'll close. The final thing we see about these men and women, they weren't just the people who decided to give praise rather than get praise. They weren't just people who valued their eternal life over their earthly life. They were a people that would rather have faith than fruit. 
Faith than fruit. We read in the last two verses of um, chapter 11, verse 39 says, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us they would be made perfect. They didn't receive the reward, the fruit of their labor here on earth, but God commended them for their faith. Often in the church stage in history we live in, many Christians value fruit over faith. What it looks like opposed to what it is. At the expense of faith, they pursue fruit. And there's nothing wrong with fruit. Jesus says, look, we we need to bear fruit, but we can only bear fruit if we're attached to him, that we have that faith, that the, the, the root of fruit is faith. As a child, I remember I was baffled when they first told me when we got plants home. Um, and I would be watering the leaves and not the soil. I, I thought, you know, this is where the flower is. This is where you, you focus in on. And they said, when my flower died, my plant died, they said, what, what were you doing? I watered this every day. I was feeding it. I was rubbing the leaves with the whole soil. And No, you need to feed the root, not the fruit. You feed the root and the fruit will come. You feed your faith and fruit will come. He says, be people who focus on faith. Why? Because you're not guaranteed fruit in this life especially not by the world's standards. But these men and women, they were commended for their what? Their faith. And when they stand before Jesus in eternity, he will not say, well done, good and fruitful servant. He will say, well done, good and faithful servant. These men and women were heroes of faith. And that's the challenge and the climax of this passage. Why? Because it shows us that this isn't all about them. You would have the wrong impression if you walked through these doors, you heard this message, and you looked at these people and went, wow, I need to do more for God. Their lives weren't about what they did for God. Their lives were about what God had done for them. They were people of faith. When you looked at their lives, you didn't see their name, you seen the name of Jesus. In fact, the next few verses, just straight over in Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2, say this. That therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, since we've heard all these amazing things that these people have done, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Not on these men and women, not on the heroes of faith, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, when we think of these words, when we look at these unnamed men and women of faith, we will say there were others. But what they were saying is there is another. There is someone else. You might know our name, but there is someone who has the name above every other name. And he was given it because he became a nobody. What does Philippians 2 and 5 say? It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not see equality with God, something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He became no one in the eyes of all those around him. And what happens next in verse 9? Therefore, God has bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, 
every knee will bow, both in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the name above every other name. That's what their lives pointed to. They were heroes of faith, and they put their faith in the name above every other name. And this morning, you can be here, and you can learn from these principles. You can go away and say, look, I want to be that person. I want to learn from their example. I want to be a person who gives praise, who, who values eternal life, who is a person of faith. But the whole point of each and every one of these principles and these choices they made was not about what they could do for God, but what God has done for them. When we see the person of Christ, who became no one by giving himself on the cross for the sin of the world, he took the wrath of God for you and for me. He paid the price and the punishment that you and I couldn't pay to take the sin and the shame, the, the consequences and the curse of sin from our lives and to set us free. They were living their lives in response to this grace, not to try and get it. And this morning, I would just love to take a moment before I finish just to pray for anyone in this room who hasn't yet received that grace from Jesus, that is maybe so busy trying to do it in their own strength, trying to live these lives, trying to get approval from God, but rather it's trying to do what you can do to be accepted before Him. The truth is this, and the truth of Scripture, both in their example and the encouragement is, there's nothing you could do to get the approval of God. But these men and women, they had, had already accepted that, what he had done for them. So right now, I would love to pray for those people. So if you're in this place, would you mind just closing your eyes and bowing your head? I want to create an opportunity for someone in this room, and maybe for the first time you're realizing it doesn't matter what you can do for God, it's all about what he's done for you. That all we can do in response to the gospel is to repent, is to turn from our sin and put our trust in Jesus. To die to ourselves to pick up our cross daily and to follow him just like these unnamed men and women of faith and right now I want to give an opportunity if that's you in this place and you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior you, you want to turn from your sin and put your trust in him you've realized the love of the Lord Jesus for you in going the way becoming no one and now he stands as the name above every name the name that's worth not only living for but dying for that right now I would love to lead you in prayer and if that's you in this room, I'm just going to ask that in a few moments you would just lift your hand just as a, an outward indication of an inward desire to follow Jesus. And I would love to pray with you. The team here would love to support you in making them steps. So right now, I'm just going to ask, if that's you, would you do something so brave? Would you just raise your hand right now? Wherever you are, I'll see that hand. You can put it back down and I'll pray for you. So if there's anyone in this room, right now, you just want to raise your hand and say, I want to, I want to put my trust in Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That's amazing. Fantastic. Thank you. I see your hand. You can put your hand back down. Is there anyone else this morning who would want to put their trust in Jesus? Okay. For those who've made that decision, I want to say a prayer. And as I pray, I invite you to pray. This is not a, a conversation you're having with me, but right now, this is a holy moment that Pastor Mike talked about at the beginning where you lean in and you talk and you connect with God. He has offered you this invitation of salvation of knowing forgiveness and freedom. And right now, you are simply responding to him in prayer. So if you've made that decision and praise God for those who have, would you just repeat after me in prayer as we accept and thank God for his gift of salvation. Father in heaven, thank you for sending your son Jesus. Thank you that he went to the cross to die for my sin. I turn from it 
and I put my trust in you. I ask that you would forgive me, that you would set me free, and that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit as I seek to serve you now and forever. Amen. Amen. Let's give a round of applause for those people who decided to follow Jesus this morning as Pastor Mike comes up.